Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we'll be in Luke chapter 17 from verse 20 all the way to verse 37. So the last time the message was titled, The Kingdom of God is Within You. And we made the, really, what is Jesus trying to say there? Um, we're going to go over it a little bit today, but I think we covered it pretty well and spoken about the relationship that God wants with us. Uh, today the message is titled, Ready but Not Obsessed. So it's, it's tangentially sort of connected to the uh, last message because you know we're just going through the gospels taking it piece by piece on Sundays but this went on for over three years where he would have these conversations and sometimes they took hours with his followers and those that also challenged him right so what we're going to talk about today is very interesting it is you know everyone's asking him the religious leaders the disciples you know when you when are you going to come back you know you say you're going to be crucified but then you're going to rise from the dead but then what happens like for us it's easy because we have hindsight of 2000 years for them they had a lot of questions so he's going to answer those questions and for those of you that you know study the bible it's not not the Olivet Discourse, which we find in Matthew 24. You could imagine that on certain subjects, Jesus would say things a few times to make sure these, his listeners and followers got it. So when he spoke about the crucifixion, that was a hard thing for them to swallow. So he spoke about it many a times. When he spoke about his return, right? Because crucifixion, well, how, you're raising the dead. How are they going to kill you? How does this work, right? So, you know, what happens afterwards? What should we do? What should we look for? So it's kind of neat. But I have to be very careful with this subject because, well, I'm actually going to, I'm going to go into a sort of a side discussion on how these sort of cultish groups have seized on the subject, why they seized on the subject, and how they are able to become false teachers and have people follow them. And here's the truth. The best way to inoculate yourself against cult teachings and um, false teachings is to know the Word of God and not let somebody else interpret it for you. That's why you all have Bibles in front of you. So if I say something and I make mistakes sometimes, you can read it along with me and correct me if need be. So we're going to look at this in six short parts. But the truth is this. Whether it was the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the political leaders, the disciples, um, even today for the last 2,000 years, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, we've heard about this. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, it's pristine, beautiful time, blah, blah, blah. Um, We're looking for it to be ushered in. But the truth is that it's kind of, you can't really put the cart before the horse. I mean, there's no sense in looking for a kingdom of God if we don't have a relationship with God. So we put all this into perspective, see what kind of job we do this morning, we'll check it out. So verse 20, it says, Now when he, Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees, this high echelon of religious leaders, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So one out of six is the catalyst for the discussion. This is the spark that gets this whole thing moving. Starting with the religious leaders, um, the disciples were always with them. I, I would imagine sometimes 
if I was following Jesus, I'd be very quiet. I'd be curious. Wow, that was an interesting question. I wonder how the Lord's going to answer that question. So then Jesus turns to His disciples, and they're more of an open-minded, objective hearers, so He gives them more information um, in addition to what He said to the religious leaders. But you know, we went into detail, so I'm not going to go into a lot of it. Um, definitely get the message. A lot of good stuff in there. But basically, the religious leaders were asking Jesus, when are you going to come and destroy Rome? That's all they cared about. And folks, sometimes we can do this with God to a lesser degree where, you know, and people do this. And, and maybe it's an immaturity in the faith until we start to grow to get to know Him. But you know, God, in prayer, if you loved me, you would make this happen. have to be careful with that. Sometimes I've asked things from God years ago. Didn't understand why I didn't get it. 20 years later, I look back and realize, well, that's the reason why I didn't get it. He was looking out for me. So the religious leaders wanted Rome to be vanquished. Um, Their eschatology was wrong. Eschatology is basically the study of end times, of later things, so to speak. So it was wrong. They were in the wrong order. But he uses that foundation to share with his disciples about eschatology, about the study of end things. Okay, jumping in, verse 22 continues. It says, then he, Jesus, so he turns his attention from the religious leaders to his disciples. He said, the days will come when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, right? He's kind of reiterating or repeating. That's, a, that's something we need to take note of. Look here or look there. Jesus says, do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His day. Verse 25, But first, speaking about Himself in the third person, but first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And so it was, Well, and I'll stop there, verse 25, so two out of six is the Lord's coming. Order, right? What's the order? People want to know, when are you coming back, Lord? And also, obvious. So basically, he says, you won't need anyone to tell you where to look. Jesus says that. And this is what, there's going to be a side topic on cults today, right? And listen, I know people that have gotten involved in cults, and it's very hard to get them out after the brainwashing start. But there's an esotericism that comes with cultic teachings. So they say to you, well... You could go to a Bible teaching church, but God has given our leaders special dispensation. You need to come to our group. We're gonna we're gonna talk to you, and you know you're gonna spend time with us and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus is saying, "Don't do that. Don't do that. It's not gonna be secret." Jesus is saying, "When I come back, it's gonna be obvious." So that the whole esoteric esotericism is. Again, it's a mark of cult. And I'm going to say this as well, is that the second coming is a beautiful thing to look forward to. The Lord's return, right? But what the cults do is they seize upon the, um, the anxiety or the, uh, the nebulousness, the uh, m- misunderstanding of how the Lord comes back. What is He going to do? They seize upon that, and that's mostly what they teach in their groups. Because what they do is through fear, they gain power and control. I only touch on it when, it's, when we hit it in the Scripture. We don't need to talk about it every Sunday. The Lord is going to return. 
He gets here when He gets here. It's on His time schedule, not ours. Right? So continuing on, Jesus says in verse 22, you will desire to see it, this coming, and you won't see it. Well, how is that possible? To the religious leaders, if you're looking for a conquering Messiah to come and vanquish Rome, that's not God's timetable. So Jesus is like, I'm right in front of you, God the Son, and you're looking right past me because you're looking for that leader to vanquish Rome and it never took place. Right? Or throughout time, again, the groups that look for these esoteric, these secret type of meetings, um, they're not going to see it either because they're going to brain, be brainwashed to believe something that's not true. You know what I love about the scripture in the Lord is, and it, it, it's taken me a long time in my teachings to get his, the way he does this stuff. Remember, he's God the Son. What he does is he speaks in layers through chronology or diachronistically. Okay, what that means is that some of the stuff, right? Where is he? Look there, look there. This group said he's over here, he's over there. The disciples never experienced that. But for the last 2,000 years, we have, right? So what Jesus does is he speaks to his followers in the first century, but he also speaks to his followers knowing that it was going to take at least 2,000 years For the last two millennia, he's also speaking to us. So the disciples didn't have to worry. They were so well inoculated. Jesus was in their midst. He rose from the dead. Uh, You know, He spent a 40-day post-resurrection ministry, and then he ascended into heaven. They're pretty good. They're spiritually inoculated. But for us, where Jesus isn't uh, tangible, so to speak, we have to follow his instructions. And Jesus knowing that Satan would capitalize on something beautiful as the second coming, and he would use these rise of cult leaders. We could name dozens of them in our own time period, but this has been going on for a long time. Sadly, whatever God does perfect, Satan tries to counterfeit, right? So what he's telling us, or he's telling them specifically, because even the disciples had trouble with the crucifixion. But what Jesus is trying to say to them, it's for your own benefit. I have to die for the sins of the world, including yours. So what he's telling them is that the Messiah's substitutionary death on the cross happens first, right? The spiritual redemption of the soul. But the physical redemption, the millennial kingdom, remaking the heavens and earth, Jesus is saying that comes later. And the religious leaders put it out of order, right? They juxtaposed it, so to speak, and that had to be corrected. Um, and, and basically, again, you can't have the kingdom without the cross. The cross has to come first. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians. Listen, I know by the time I'm done with this, some people may still have questions. So please, this is a, it's a difficult, it's a very complex subject as we go into this. Um, I'm more than happy to answer any of your questions. So in 1 Corinthians 15, starting with 51, the Apostle Paul later on to this point, to this point in time, says, Behold... He's speaking to believers. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, that's euphemistic. We're not all going to die, the body of believers. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now I'm going to read another scripture that speaks about this as well, right? And basically it looks like this. And I was going to do a timeline, but I had so many scriptures and things and arrows and stuff. I'm like, I'm going to put that up and confuse everybody. So I said to myself, let's just simplify it. Let's just simplify it. And we're going to see examples of this in the Old Testament, right? We're going to see this in the scripture. Basically what happens is, we saw this with the Israelites. 
He gave them a kingdom. He blessed them with land and borders and everything. And they, in their prosperity, they turned into decadence and wickedness. So He had to judge them. He gave them time. Time to repent. This is the bane of human nature. You know, when things are too good, we tend to slack off spiritually. So, so what did He have to do? He had to judge had to judge the Israelites. We see this all throughout the prophetic books. Um, we also see this in the flood, right? There was wickedness and evil. I mean, the earth was filled with bounty and beauty, and, and it was incredible. And the people became decadent, and He had to judge them, right? Um, same thing with Lot. He's going to speak about this. Sodom, Gomorrah, there were... Uh, Three other cities, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zoar. So five cities around the Dead Sea area that we know of today in modern-day Jordan. He gave them bounty and beauty. And they tended towards... It just didn't happen overnight. It took generations, right? They moved towards evil. He, he gives them space to repent. Eventually, he has to judge them. But what happens... Second coming is going to be no different. I mean, look at the world, right? We, we have modern-day slavery in the world that nobody seems to care about. Um, and it's terrible. We have sex slavery. We have a lot of bad things in this world. And the Lord sees all that. And He's eventually going to give our human race time to repent and repent, and there'll be revivals and good stuff. But eventually, He has to judge the evil. Now, here's the parallel, is when you look at Lot, uh, Lot's family, Sodom and Gomorrah, you look at the flood, Noah's family, you look at what's going to take place in the second coming, what, hap- what always has to take place in between them. The Lord removes, He separates the righteous from the wicked and He protects the righteous. Now even in uh, Egypt, when the plagues took place, He didn't necessarily remove them, but He covered them and sheltered them. And the plagues didn't affect them. So we understand, reading the Scripture, reading the ancient text, something called the harpazo or the rapture or the removal, you call it whatever you want. Some people don't like the name rapture, fine. In Greek, it's harpazo. I call it the removal. Just like with Lot and his family, just like in the flood, if it happened today, which I'm not predicting anything, the Lord will remove his followers before he judges humanity. Because our judgment happened at the cross. We don't get judged twice. So if you believe in Christ, if you believe in Christ today, it's sort of a retroactive Um, covering for your sins. That substitutionary atonement that Jesus did on the cross. So I was judged, my sins, the Lord knew, many millennia before I was born at the cross, He took care of that. So when I trusted in Him, that applies to me. So God's not looking to to judge us, right? And the word judgment is a very, it has a large semantic range to it. Okay, so basically for 2,000 years, Jesus' followers have been longing for His return. Probably more from the ones that actually touched Him and broke bread with Him and watched the miracles. That probably was hard for them to be separated from Him. God the Son is among you in the flesh doing all these things. We love Him 2,000 years later, but could you imagine their experiences with the living God? That must have been incredible. So His, his followers long for Him. But Jesus says, if don't go here in secret, don't go there, wasn't enough. Jesus hits it from different angles. He says, as the lightning flashes across the sky. You know, Jesus is like, when I come, it's going to be obvious. It's not going to be some secret group. And I'm going to tell you that these, these groups have predicted the Lord's return 
um, probably maybe hundreds of times if you, if you put them collectively. There was, uh, it's sad because he did repent later, but, and he's, he's passed away. But this guy, Harold Camping, he was doing, oh my goodness, my friends who were into his teachings, the world's going to end in 2011. Then he adjusted it and it, it was ridiculous. And I'm like, guys, I'm not a betting person, but I could have made a lot of money betting with dopey people who follow camping to say, I'll bet you $10,000 it isn't going to happen. Why do I know it's not going to happen? Because the Lord not telling any of us. And he said, don't be a date setter. So Harold Camping did it. Jehovah Witnesses did it four times that I know of in the 1800s all the way into the mid-1900s. And before you say, Pastor Joe, you know, aren't you being a little harsh? And the answer is no, and I'll tell you why. Because if if I was to tell you uh, tonight at midnight, the Lord's going to come back, which I would not do, <laughs> um, what would you do? You'd quit your job. You'd you know, get rid of your house. You'd be out in the field at 12 o'clock, 11.59, and He doesn't show up. So all those faithful followers who were duped, this happened so many times. They lost their homes. They lost their jobs. Their families thought they were crazy because of some crazy cult teacher who set dates. So it's forbidden in the Scripture, and that's why we're not going to do it at this church. Uh, continuing on, verse 23b, let me just cover that real quick, is that he says, don't go after them and don't follow them, even though they say, look here or look there. Don't do it. Now, I'm just going to say this. Um, I, I have the blessing of having, you know, when I became a, a new Christian uh, we, I was part of a very large church. They had a lot of neat ministries. For some reason, because I was a police officer, I was drawn to sort of the anti-cult ministry. I learned about them. I got their books. You know, I got into the charismatic leaders and all that kind of stuff. So here I am. I'm in law enforcement. Had a great career, 25-year career. And I also was learning about cults, and that actually helped me in my law enforcement career. I'm just going to kind of make this uh, maybe relevant for today. If you'll notice, we're right at the 30-year anniversary of the tragedy in Waco, Texas, where the ATF, FBI kind of had a joint venture to go after David Koresh and some others for weapons violations of various things. And it was a tragedy because the government didn't understand fully who they were dealing with. And um, 82 people died in that raid. It was terrible. Law enforcement and some of the Branch Davidians. Um, but... If somebody was to ask me, hopefully it doesn't happen in this area, but if somebody was to ask me, based on your dual expertise, I would say this. Understand this. These people are so brainwashed that these people will put their children in the line of gunfire to protect their cult leader. So before you breach that door, understand who you're dealing with. A better option would be to use satellite technology to surveil the leaders. When they're away from the compound, take them down. That would be my advice. Again, hopefully we don't need it. Hopefully it never happens. But he was, Koresh studied him. He was kind of a loser. But he was very charismatic. And he was able to whip people into believing that he was this Messiah figure. So two of my kind of careers kind of come into play here. Okay, let's move on. That's depressing. Uh, <laughs> but verse 26, Jesus says, And as it was in the days of Noah, we talked about this, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Historical fact. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, 
they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So three out of six is, don't miss the boat. (laughs) Don't miss the boat. Now, I'm not going to reiterate it. Actually, Brian, one of our uh, our video uh, expertise gentlemen and a board member, he's actually doing Genesis on some Wednesday nights. I'm loving his teachings. Um, we're very like-minded, right? I was uh, studied sciences at Rutgers University, kept a lot of my textbooks, followed up on it. Uh, but there's a lot of evidence for the flood. Uh, there's, this, there's Sumerian records. There's records of cultures outside the Israelites who have these writings that have survived, archaeology, right, digs, and they speak about the world. So all these different cultures have spoken about a worldwide flood. Um, I've talked about the various dinosaur alleys, uh, one specific one in the, the upper Midwest and Canada uh, when the coast started to, you know, do, it happened here in North America. When the coast started to fill up with water, right, the water just kept rising, started coming inland. This said, the dinosaurs were huddled into this place, and they, they started moving uh, towards the mountainous areas. Eventually, they were overcome, and archaeologists who don't believe in God scratch their heads and say, wow, there's so many bones that are all jumbled up in this one area, so many square feet, as if a catastrophe happened. Okay, I know you're... Just read the Bible. So, But anyway... I'm not going to go into that depth. Uh, when you look at Lot, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Today, it's in modern-day Jordan. They do uh, mineral mining in that area because there's a lot of sulfur and mineral content, right? The Dead Sea area, nothing really can survive save a few, a few uh, organisms. Uh, but that, what happened to all these cities? Why are there ruins? Why is there, why is there sulfur everywhere? Because it really happened, right? And the Jordanians have mostly left it the way it is. I mean, you could see it if you wanted to. It's probably a little depressing. But what is the connection between what is Jesus saying? He's returning. He brings about stuff in the Old Testament, the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah. What do we have here? A few things. A, God was patient with evil, but then he eventually had to judge evil. And again, there's a lot of people who think that they're, you know, social media police officers, social media surgeons, They're really good with the keyboard telling everybody what they should do because they're experts in nothing. Um, And that's an overstatement. But the bottom line is that they do the same thing with God, right? Look at the world. I say the same thing. Lord, this is is awful. You know, we're looking forward to your kingdom. Um, I'm very respectful about it, of course, because it's his timing. But look at the world, Lord. You know, justice. We're all talking about justice. That's the thing in American culture. We all want justice. And then when God brings justice, oh, how could a God of love listen? You can't have it both ways, right? If you, uh, if you want the justice, it's coming. Right? And you, you don't like exactly the way God does the justice, then he's not a God of love. That's just, uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's cognitive dissonance. It's a lot of things that psychologically are um, combative against each other. Two views that are combative. Uh, you can't do that. You can't flip from one to the other. That's the bait. That's another topic. Okay. So B is that the people in this time period and in a future time period from 2023 had a business as usual attitude to life amidst the evil. So they were raising families, they were doing business, and the evil just kept permeating the culture, and they just 
like the frog in the pot of boiling water. They just kept accepting it, accepting it, and then they were all surprised that judgment had come. C, there's a separation of the evil and the righteous prior to God's judgment. I covered that. We talked about the rapture of the harpazo. And then the last one, D, not seeing the signs, not seeing the big picture, not realizing that evil cannot go on in perpetuity on God's creation. Okay? And it's the same today. You know, um, we, we, we have a lot of weird things coming out in our culture. And sadly, I know some self-professing Christians who, instead of reading what God's Word says, they turn on the television. You're just going to get more confused, right? Because they're going to tell you, right, Isaiah, was it 5? Right is wrong, wrong is right, we're there. If something's right, it's seen by the culture as wrong. If something's wrong, it's seen by the culture as right. So, and there's a hostility towards people of faith lately. You can start seeing that in the, in the culture, um, but that's what you have. So I will say this as well, is that uh, verse 30, it says, so these things will happen like they happened in the period of the flood, like they happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the Son of Man, verse 30, will be revealed. The Greek word is apocalyptotai. That's a cool word. Say that ten times fast. Uh, there's another word in Revelation, the apocalypsis. There's various forms of the word, but it basically means an unveiling or revealing. So let's, let's break this down. Let's break it down. Um, there's something called apocalyptic literature. And sadly, the word has taken on another life that's not scriptural. So when you hear apocalypse, what do you think of? The end of the world. Run for your lives. Hide. Terrible. But the word actually means an unveiling or a revealing. So when I, when I studied the book of Revelation a few years back, there's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The apocalypsis. The unveiling or the revealing of Jesus Christ. Jesus saying, I'm here. If you are following Him, if, you have, if your sins have been covered by His blood and receiving Christ, there's nothing to fear about. So when the Lord returns, I don't think my heart's going to beat any extra. Well, before He changes my body, I don't even know we'll have a heart at that point, but um, I'm not worried about it because I know that the Lord is going to come to establish righteousness. But people who don't know God, first of all, if they're following cult teachings, they're going to be terrified, right? And they try to hope to get their family member out of that group because they're terrified. Everybody's terrified, but that's not the right reaction to it, Right? We look forward to seeing the Lord's return. Do we really want to see what happens in the next 10 years, 20 years with the crazy people who are running the world? I certainly don't because they seem to have no regard for the average person. But the Lord loves every person. The poorest person, the unpolitical person, the person who's got no money to give to his campaign because the Lord doesn't need a campaign. He's just going to come in and he's going to make everything right. So, a lot of stuff there. Um, you know, it's... It is what it is. Verse, verse 31, continuing on. In that day, trust me, if you're new to this type of teaching, I'm going to bring it all together in the end. I'm going to take every element of what we talked about in the six parts, and I'm going to bring it all together, and you're going to see this is really awesome stuff. So, that's a high expectation. So I'm going to run away if you don't like it. Okay, verse... I don't even know where I was. Oh, verse 31. So it says, In that day, he who was on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. 
four out of six is the heart has to be right. This is why I want my God to look at me and to judge me and to discipline me if need be than any human being. Because people don't know my heart. Only God does. People don't know your heart. right? Some of you might be misunderstood. You might be an outcast. You might maybe not articulate your words well and you always find yourself in these social predicaments. You might have done things in the past and think, now I have this stigma. People are going to look at me different. I'm never going to be able to break out of this. Maybe I should move to another country. God knows you. He knows your frame. He knows your hearts. He knows your flaws. And He loves you. And anytime you choose to come to Him, He died for your sins. That's, a, that's an open invitation. Right? So, I can talk to you about your heart and my heart, but the only heart I know is mine. And even Jer- Jeremiah tells me that my heart can be, I'm not talking about the four-chamber cardiac muscle, I'm talking about the will, the emotions, and the intellect, but it's a, a sort of an old cultural, they use body parts to uh, exemplify or uh, metaphorize um, our behaviors. It, it was easier to go through. Okay, the heart must be right. Um, I would just say that just be on the right side today, right? We don't know when it's going to happen. Obviously, we're still here, so it hasn't happened yet. Be on the right side when it happens, the proper side. Remember Lot's wife. So if you know the story, uh, judgment was coming down. The angels were helping the Lot and his family get out of the city uh, because what does God do? He removes the righteous or the people of faith, or the people who have trusted him, before he destroys the wicked. And the wife turned and she, she died. Okay? And then people can read the Bible very quickly and go, well, how unfair was that? Well, I did a little study on the Hebrew. She looked back. Well, maybe there was a mosquito and she was like swatting. No, it's not what happened. Okay? The Hebrew word is nobat. So what she did was she looked back at the city when she was supposed to be escaping. Her feet and her family were saying, come with us. But her heart and her head and her mind said, I want to stay there. What that Hebrew word means is that in her heart, she scanned the city. She longed for the city. She didn't want God to do that because she liked that lifestyle. So that was it. She wasn't really one of the... I don't know what happened to her after that, but I can tell you that it's a great example of where we stand on this world, right? Are we, you know, when, when it kind of comes to that tug of war between following the Lord and doing His will and doing worldly stuff, I mean, is there anything wrong with going to parties, going to, on a vacation? No, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. But when in your heart, you know what the right thing to do is and you're constantly trying to prop up the dying that's here. Uh, that's where the problem lies in. And we all know, right? Nobody can judge my motives. But I know my heart and God knows my heart. And sometimes God will gently let us know, you're not doing right by me. You're trying to prop up temporal things, trying to resurrect temporal things. When my son was resurrected, he need to be following him. And I have to ask this question, even now, I'm sure we're not like Lot's wife, but what are we holding on to today, this week, this year, that's dishonoring God? 
What are we holding on to that we're putting in front of the things of God that won't stand the test of eternity? When I ask those questions, I'm not looking for a verbal answer. It's just something that we have to apply to our own life in prayer. And all of us can look at something and say, wow, that's confirmation of what I've been experiencing or hearing from the Lord or reading or feeling lately. So he says not to prioritize these earthly things. If you're on the housetop, your belongings, don't go back into the house to get them. Uh, the man in the field, don't go back home to get your things. It's done. At this point, this future occurrence, just like in the flood, just like in Sodom and Gomorrah, it's going to be toast. I have to laugh that every day when I leave the house, every day when I leave the house, I take my wallet, right? There's some credit card, there's ID, there's a healthcare card if some should befall me. There's um, a driver's license. I'm not going to need this anymore. You know, I'm not going to have to go back to get anything, right? Uh, is my hair sticking up? Do my clothes match? You know, do I have the right footwear on, the right clothing? It's not going to matter because those, all those things are just temporal stuff. You know, um, especially my glasses, my keys, they could be in my hand and I'm looking around for my keys and I'm getting to that age. It's just, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't need my keys anymore. You know what I'm saying? Whoever's left when I'm gone can have my house. You know, there's some good stuff in the refrigerator and the freezer and, you know, but just, just wait till I'm gone. Okay. Verse 33, he says, Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So five, I call the maxim in the middle, right? The little proverb in the middle of everything that's going on. Now, it doesn't mean to lose your life as if you fall out of a boat that just just don't do anything. Don't paddle and sink to the bottom. That's not what he's talking about. What he's speaking about is to lose our temporal lives as in to give it to God, right? And we see people on the earth today. We talked about in the men's group, money. People just clamor for money, 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 money. I just got to work this one more shift. I just got to do this. I just got to buy this one more thing. How many of us have a garage, an attic, a basement that has a bunch of junk in it that we probably will never use? Sometimes I'll go through, it's just stupid stuff. It's not even valuable, right? Some hands, right? It's a lot of hands, you know? Sometimes I'll go through a black bag and be like, what the heck is in here? You know what I'm saying? Babe, do you know what's in there? And she goes, which black bag is it? So it's just, it's like, oh my goodness, you know? So we, what we try to do in this life is we try to hold on to stuff. Stuff, stuff, stuff that's going to make us happy. Even when you buy that new car, after a few months, the new car smell is gone. It's dirty, you know. It's not, it, there's a few scratches from the, the, the grocery store. You know, it, it, it's just temporal things. It's temporal things. To, so in other words, to lose our self-directed, self-focused, temporal-focused life. To lose it. But we gain it. But what are we gaining? We're gaining eternal life, right? To try to be in control all the time in a self-directed life, we, ended up, we end up losing our life. Because God's not in the equation anywhere. So this is a great maxim when you think about it, right? Uh, Just give it to the Lord. Verse 34, continuing on. Actually, yeah, a few more verses. It says, I tell you that 
This part is, listen, even Bible teachers have trouble with this, but I'm going to kind of try to make sense of it. He says, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, the one will be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding together, the one will be taken and the other left. Two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. So, what's that all about? And six is the inevitable sheep and goat separation. Again, this is that separation. Um, when I found out the principle that, that eventually, sadly enough, because God knows the heart, He knows the soul, He knows the spirit, that at some point in all of our lives, we become separated. Uh, sometimes from people we like, sometimes from family members. There will be two separations uh, and Jesus talks about Matthew 25, separating the sheep from the goats. There will be one on the earth in judgment. There'll be a physical separation. But there'll also be an eternal separation. We all have to stand before God. Again, if your sins have been judged at the cross, and you can do that today, uh, your, your judgment is sort of like the Olympics, right? You get a, a wreath or you get something, you ran the race well. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. So judgment is a good word. It's got a very large, wide, broad, semantic range. Um, if you have resisted God your whole life and you die in that state, then that judgment will be a different judgment, the great white throne judgment, and you'll be eternally separated from God. It's not a good thing. So, you know, it, it's just, it, it's called the second death. And, and I talked about when I covered the rich man and Lazarus, nine false teachings surrounding death that people believe today that aren't true that aren't true so he says this is what happens with this separation uh, and let me just pause for a minute i'm not happy about it listen do you think i'm happy about every single thing that's going to happen or everything that has happened i'm still in the flesh i'm not perfect so sometimes my views i'll just be honest full disclosure are not 100 percent aligned with what god says and i have to pray about him to give me a better understanding to help it to be absorbed better because he's God and I'm not. But I will say that there's people that I love and I don't want to be separated from them. However, it motivates me to tell them about the God who loves them. I want to get them over to this side. You know, there's a movie, a lot of movies made about the Titanic. Uh, and this is true. When you look at the historical books, the, the ship was filling up with water. Some people were helping others get to the lifeboats. Um, others were not wanting to believe that it was actually happening. Some people were playing the violin and instruments while the water was coming up. They're just playing in the band. Mother was putting her kids to bed and she goes to bed while the one room in the cabin was filling up with water. The human psyche is an interesting thing. And there are people today who want to take what they heard this morning or a funeral, or somewhere, or preaching, and they want to compartmentalize it in a part of their mind where I'm just going to ignore it. I don't like it. I want to see everybody saved, folks. And that drives me when I'm out of this pulpit to meet people and to talk to them, people that I know, people that I love. Uh, but the truth is, Jesus is the Coast Guard cutter. You know, the Titanic is this world. It's sinking. It isn't getting better. It's getting worse with all our developments in science and satellite technology and biotech and knowledge, we're becoming more decadent as a world culture. It's sinking. You know, the Lord Jesus is saying, take my hand. I'm going to bring you to, to safety for all of eternity. And a lot of people still won't do it. Think about that. Think about that. So looking, looking on, continuing on, um, 
Jesus gives an idea of people sleeping, uh, people grinding in the field, or people grinding, they're working, they're in the field, maybe leisure, bed is sleeping. But it's interesting because this will happen at the same time in the world where there's this physical separation. And again, it's something that we believe is the rapture or the harpazo. Uh, whether it's, it's evening in China, uh, you know, in, in the middle of the night, and here it's the afternoon, even the time zones, it doesn't matter where you are, in bed, in the field, working, pleasure, leisure. This separation is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, Paul tells us. And it will happen. So it's something to consider. Verse 37, last verse. And they answered and said to him, you've got to love the disciples. Where, Lord? <laughs> I would have asked a lot of questions too. I'd be like, Jesus would be like, how come you're not sleeping? Because you said that thing at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and it's still keeping me up, Lord. You know, like he's, he's God the Son, right? We, we want to know. So they, they didn't, you saw maybe he was finished and they're like, but where, Lord? And he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now, there are going to be times that we cover things in the scripture, whether the first century or before, that are sort of colloquialisms, figure of speech, like where there's smoke, there's fire. So he says that where the eagles are gathered, or wherever the body is, the eagle will be gathered. It sort of means when the time comes, it will be unmistakable. It will be obvious. So I actually looked up that word. It is translated primarily into eagles. So I'm starting to flip through my, I love animals, right? The birds, the eagles. And I read about eagles. Eagles are kind of cool. They look cool too. They're just like, you ever see an, an eagle from the side their profile? They're just like, I'm an eagle. I'm cool. But... When you read about eagles, they're opportunistic eaters. So they could kill a mouse running through the field. Not a problem for them. But if there's a body somewhere, they'll go there first because it's less effort. Why go after the, the mouse, right? Um, they have the ability to digest carrion, you know, uh, rotting flesh and stuff. It's a nice thing for a morning discussion. But they, um, so what he's just basically saying, Jesus is saying, and he would often refer to nature. You know, if there's... When you see all these eagles gathered together, it's, there's a corpse there. And what he's basically saying is, it's going to be obvious. Now, some people use this, and, and I like to look at different Bible teachers. We're not far off. Um, there's some nuances with other teachers, but uh, they'll refer to Revelation 19 in the Battle of Armageddon, where, unfortunately, it's this incredible war that the world is headed to, by the way, if you read the news and look at geopolitics. And it's really a 50-50, you know, the, the autocrats of the East, Russia, China, Iran, they're trying to get India in there too. They're, they're lining up to balance out the West, and there's going to be a conflict. And you don't need Fox News or CNN to tell you that. All you need to do is read Revelation. So there's going to be this, this showdown um, just as it crosses the West side of the Euphrates, right, Revelation 16, and there, there is going to be a showdown. Will it be Taiwan? Will it be Ukraine? Don't know. But it's coming. I just read a report now, I guess with the recent leak, that they found that our, we have troops in Ukraine fighting Russian soldiers. That just came out. Um, that makes things very interesting. So are we going to pull together with now Taiwan? I'm not making a value judgment. I'm just saying that Russia and China, they're buddies now. They love each other. And there's going to be a showdown between the East and the West. And we see this in Revelation, we see it in Daniel, we see it in a lot of scriptural books. So this is what's coming on. The Battle of Armageddon is a, is a sort of a middle ground where actually the East and West can come together and do, do battle. 
<laughs> right? Who would, have, who would have known this 100 years ago? Nobody. People thought World War II was the war to end all wars. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet because everyone's going to get pulled into this one. Am I worried? Am I, do I want you to be afraid? You should not walk out of here afraid because God's got this. Okay? Trust me on that one. Trust him. Don't trust me. I don't have any control over this stuff. Uh, so, so, so that's what you have going on. And um, let, let me just kind of wrap this up here. Ready, not obsessed. Right? What's the proper focus? Proper focus is not to be in the extremes. And I'll give you an example. There are some who, and I've seen it, they know so much about end times. They bounce from one pastor to the other. They basically spend all their time in front of the computer listening, watching, end times, end times. It's all they talk about. And they really don't do anything for the kingdom of God. And quite frankly, those people are useless for the kingdom. You know? And let me just say this before anybody gets upset. As a new believer, that was me. I knew all about end times, eschatology, theology. My wife will agree with this one. I wasn't the best husband. So there's something about head knowledge and there's something about applying it. And I needed to say, I need to balance this stuff. Right? I was interested in the geopolitics being in law enforcement, so I was fascinated starting to read the Bible. But my, my application of my, my daily life wasn't cutting it. Okay, So I'll just speak for myself. On the other extreme, here's the other extreme. You have believers who are just so self-determined, so worldly, so materialistic. It's all about how great their life is, and they don't do anything for the kingdom of God. Right? And those people are useless for the kingdom as well. And those are two extremes. So the title to the message, it took me a few days to come up with it, is to be ready. I'm ready. I get it. I read the paper. I know what the Bible says, but I'm not obsessed. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to try to love people. And I'm going to do the best I can to help people understand who Christ is and that he died for his sins. Does that make sense, folks? So, you know, he even said to disciples, don't do that. Don't do this. Remember the parable of the expectant servant, right? That's a great picture of what we should be. He knew that his Lord was going to come home, his boss, and some of his fellow um, servants were getting drunk, fighting with each other. And when the guy came home, those were, were punished, but the expectant servant was commended for doing business while he was away. So we're supposed to be like those expectant servants. And I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you did in life. I don't care how you're down on yourself. God can use you. God can use you. There, I said this, we were talking a lot of stuff in the men's group on Saturday, and one of the things we talked about was, I said, and it isn't an ability issue. Well, Pastor Joe, you look like you get around well, you look like you're in shape. It has nothing to do with that. It isn't a money issue. Some people have a big bank account. They could just do good deeds and blah, blah, blah. There are elderly people, Chuck Smith spoke about this. He's, when people said, what do, you, what do you attribute to the success of Calvary Chapel? He said, well, when we were moving to buildings and we were doing all this stuff, he goes, there was a group of elderly women who would get together regularly and pray for us. And, and the interviewer was like, yeah, those ladies over there, they could have been disabled, they could have been, uh, maybe they didn't have friends, maybe they didn't have money, but you know what they could do? They prayed, and they prayed fervently while everybody else was running around. So it's not an ability issue, it's we can all do something as Christians. 
How different would this world look? How different would this country look if every Christian did something small? Are there millions of self-professed Christians? What effect could that have on our communities, on our schools, on our educational systems? We don't know. So, ready? I'm ready. But I'm not obsessed about this stuff. Because it gets weird when people get obsessed over it. So the proper focus is to, to know these things but also to serve the Lord. And I'll leave you with this. If you don't know the Lord, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish but have eternal life. This is important for today's message. 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Pastor Joe, you are just talking about judgment. It has to come. It has to come. Because everything's starting to unravel. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not His desire. But that through Him, through the Savior, the world might be saved. And that's God's heart. But you know what He did? He gave us free will. He gave us that ability to make those choices every day. And I'm hoping by the end of today's message, somebody comes up to receive the Lord. You know, be a part of His team. So, if we do know the Lord, don't fall into extremes. Yes, we do long for the Lord's return if I could use a worldly expression. But guess what? When he gets here, he gets here. Amen? You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.